Isn't that amazing? I love that song. First time I ever heard it, I just fell in love with it. And I can remember us singing it together in churches and folks going, what in the world is going on with all that stuff moving around? Well, we've learned it. That's great. It is so great to be with you this morning. I'm grateful to have the opportunities that I have to, to stand before you. And But I must tell you, there was a bit of a crisis about preaching this morning. I was in a bit of a quandary. I was thinking, ever since the pandemic, everything has changed. Things are so different. And I thought, what do I wear? What is appropriate anymore? So I'm looking at my closet, and it's... Short, 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 shorts, you know, T-shirts. And I came to this section clear in the back. You know what I'm talking about? There is dust across the crease right across here. And I thought, well, that looks appropriate. I've seen those before. I remember those. So I Googled it. And it said, suit. Worn by lawyers and bankers. Didn't even say anything about preachers. But I looked at it, and I said, that's pretty cool. So I got it out, and I found a shirt. Long sleeve shirt. I don't wear long sleeve shirts very often. Long sleeve shirt. This is called a tie. Matches my shirt. It's great to be with you this morning. It really is. Thanks for the opportunity. In Acts chapter 2, there's an amazing story that takes place. It takes place on a day called Pentecost, 50 days after the resurrection of Jesus. And in this story, it's been almost two months, and the people have really been grappling with this whole idea of what exactly happened almost two months ago. What happened? Our city was turned upside down. So many things were happening. Barabbas is still running around among us because they let him go and they killed this guy, Jesus. So everybody became aware. Everybody talked about it. And then Peter preaches this sermon. And we see a verse that for many of us is one that we learned early on and one that we maybe even know by heart. But it's Acts chapter 2, verse 37, and it says, now, when they heard this, see, they'd been hearing lots of things in that nearly two-month period. But it says, when they heard this, this particular thing that they heard, they were pierced in their heart, got their attention. They were keenly aware because Peter said to them, This Christ that you have crucified. You did that. Two months ago, you are responsible for Jesus having died on the cross. What? You're kidding. But their awareness was such that their conscience had existed in turmoil for a period of time, and they indeed were aware that they were, in fact, responsible. And then there's a statement that occurs that I think gets lost in Christendom as a whole. And the verse 
basically brings this point out. The people's response was, then what shall we do? If you're saying we killed Christ, then what do we do? What do we do about it? If we're in this terrible predicament, what shall we do about it? How do we recover? How do we come forward from such a horrendous act? And then maybe one of the most known verses in the Bible, besides John 3.16, it says, Peter said to them, Repent, each one of you, and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. But most directly, it was, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, because you killed Jesus. You did that. You people, two months ago, wanted him dead. And you pursued that to its eventual end. And by the way, if you do that, if you do this amazing thing, you're going to receive a thing called the Holy Spirit. It's going to be amazing. What was tragic was turned holy and pure and filled with grace. I want to tell you Andy's story this morning. Andy's not his real name, but Andy gave me permission to tell a thousand people his story this morning. Hey, Andy. Hope he's listening this morning. I knew Andy's mom first before I ever met Andy. But if you were around Andy's mom, you would know about Andy. Andy had a lot of struggles. Andy was this fella that moms worry about. You know that child? Always having some difficulty. Always facing a struggle. Well, Andy had graduated college. Andy was doing pretty well. A lot of things were happening for Andy. But when I met Andy's mom, all of that had fallen apart. Every time I would see Andy's mom somewhere, it would be, please pray for Andy. Please pray for Andy. If she ran into you, if she knew you, she would say to you, please pray for Andy. Because Andy needed prayer. Andy needed a different lifestyle. So I meet Andy's situation through his mother. It came to the point at one time that I was talking with an attorney and we were working on creating an order of protection for Andy's mother away from Andy. It had gotten very bad. There was difficulty, but there was fear. She didn't want to isolate him. She wanted him to change. She wanted him to do something different, to be different, to live different. So she did the only thing she knew. She would say, pray for Andy. So as time goes by and we hear about all of these things that's happened with Andy, and as we worry about Andy's mom, as time goes by, we see the struggle. 
and the struggle is because Andy is addicted to drugs. Andy has a drinking problem, and Andy is living on the streets of Nashville. He had lived there since his wife had left him. His wife had left him. He had four boys, loved his kids, but that drinking problem was too much for their family. She left, took the boys. Familiar story. If you've not heard it, trust me, it exists out there every single day. People are struggling with these things. And as time went by, it got worse. And Andy finds himself just living anywhere and everywhere around Nashville, just trying to survive. Forgot to mention, Andy was a successful engineer. Had a degree in engineering for uh, tech up here, up the road. Doing well. But in his life, it all came crashing in when everything in his life fell apart because the way he was living would not sustain a healthy lifestyle for a family. As a matter of fact, it is responsible for destroying it. Time goes by, and we find this situation developing. We're hearing that things are getting worse and worse for Andy's life. And one day, to my surprise, I look at my schedule. Andy. Oh, boy. You ever have one of those moments in your work life where you go, oh, this is going to be interesting? I have quite a few of those. And he comes in. And I can tell you for a fact that the thing that Andy did was one of the most remarkable things I've ever seen anybody do in my office because this just does not happen very often. Andy comes in, he sits down, he looks at me, he pulls out a notebook, and he says essentially, what must I do? What do I do? See, that's the same question that the people ask of Peter. See, I think that question applies to far more than what's said in Acts chapter 2. I think it's an everyday question. What do I do? I said, well, Andy, it's like this. You're in need of a transformation of living. You need a different lifestyle one that will support the things that you want and support the things that you need in life and you're not getting it. He says, well, tell me what to do. Now, if any of your counselors in here, and I know a couple of you are, that's the classic don't answer question right there. Well, what do you think you should do? That's what we oftentimes say back because we want you to think about it. Do you know there are times that directive counseling is the absolute best thing you can do? He didn't want to talk about his problems. He didn't want to talk about all the things he had been through. He wanted to know, just like those people did in Acts chapter 2, 
What do we do about this? How do we change this? How do I turn this into the life that I actually want to live and I believe I was meant to live? And so I start telling him the things he needs to do. We get him housing. But it wasn't great housing. It was living at the Salvation Army down in Nashville. It was starting into a free drug recovery program. It was getting a part-time job. And Andy started doing all those things. And things started getting better. The connection started getting better. Then there's an attorney that was involved in some of this. We all knew Andy's mom, and there was connections. And this attorney knew of an engineering firm that could use a guy, but yet it was a low entrance level position where Andy could start to recover and begin his work life again. And so he gets hired. Let me tell you what, Andy was not the same engineer he was. Andy was not the same person. Andy still had lots of struggles to deal with in his life. There were still difficulties with his boys who had now become about 10 years older. The connections, many of them, very strained, very difficult. The connection with his mom, she was thrilled and started doing everything she could to support and to help Andy in his recovery. What had been the possibility of an order of protection was now anything he needed, any support she would help. Andy did dishes at restaurants. Andy did all sorts of things trying to recover. I was talking to Andy this past week, and out of the blue, he sends me this email. I can't tell it any better than he says it. So listen to this email. I was an up-and-coming engineer after graduation. I had won several awards. I had started a karate school, and I had started a contractor business. And then, in 1997, my wife left with my boys. We divorced in 98. Because of my drinking, because of the problems that I had, my family did an intervention, and they took my boys away from me. To deal with my anger and hurt, I started downward into a greater drug abuse and a greater alcohol problem. By June of 21, I had walked away. My income was barely anything. And then you said, I think we can help you by getting into a program. And so it began. That night, after meeting with Brian, I wrote a plan called The Other Side of the Fence. God let me think it was my idea, but I also in, enrolled in a program at Elam, and I heard in an AA meeting that a guy had the same addiction that I had and had been in and out of prison for 16 years, but at this time had been clean and sober for eight. I asked if that meant that I could quit too, and he said yes. And I said, I accept that. That was in February of 2016. Salvation Army in March working with me, doing 90 meetings in 90 days. 
You know all of that life has thrown my way, Brian. But God is faithful and continues to lead me to those who help. Financially, things turned around. Interestingly enough, one of my dope dealers that liked me said, God can't bless you where you're at. So she took me to the Salvation Army, telling me that winter was coming and I needed to make some changes. I can look back and see to some extent how I fell and definitely how God has patiently brought me back to hope when I became willing and honest. This is where verses like Romans 12, 1 and 2 become so incredibly valuable to us. Because there, when we put it in the context of these real-life issues, we start to see God's presence and the changes that can occur. Because it says there, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, to view God's mercy, to offer your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. And then verse 2, Don't conform to this world and the pattern that it has, be transformed by changing your mind and therefore changing your behavior. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is. It's transformational thinking. So here is one of those transformational thoughts I want you to have as we conclude here this morning. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 13. And if you're going through difficulties, if you're facing things and you're anywhere even close to where Andy was, hope. Hope becomes the most important thing in the world to you. You know why we complain about petty things? Because we don't have big problems. If you've got big problems, you don't complain about the little stuff. You don't have time for it. You don't have space for it. One of the great things about being in a pretty good place is being in a pretty good place. But it comes with some baggage also. We become complacent and critical. And that can be just as problematic as having the big problem. 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says, No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. Somehow Andy found a way to God and God gave him a way out. Kind of put something together for you to remember as you leave here today. It's this. Whatever I get into, God can get me out of. Whatever I get into, God can get me out of. You say that with me. Whatever I get into, God can get me out of. Do you believe that? Do you trust that? Do you anchor your life in that? 
there may be some folks here that are having trouble believing that because they're so caught in whatever it is. You see, we're not talking just about Pentecost. We're not just talking about drug and alcohol addiction. We're talking about all of the experiences that are very, very difficult for us in life. And we need to know that whatever we get into, God can get us out of. Let's say it one more time together. It sounded so good. Whatever I get into, God can get me out of. Don't, don't forget that. Trust that. Hope that. Because you know why? There are so many of you in this auditorium this morning that I know personally how God transformed you and how God has taken you through things in life. And it is such a cool thing to see. It's what we're about as a faith community. So here's the thing. The people in Acts chapter 2 were told to make a change. I hope that you can see that change is the essence of how we grow and develop. We grow and develop, as it said in Romans 12, because we renew our mind. It just means you're going to have to think differently. How differently was Andy's thinking? It was transformed. He's one of the quickest people you'll ever meet to tell you about his faith. About how it is essential to his survival. Do you see your faith as essential to your survival? Or what is, what is making you survive? Oh, it can be so many things. But if it is your faith, then you will weather the things that come your way. Because that's how God made us. Stop living like the world. Renew and change and grow. Find help if needed. And build a life of faith. Because building that life of faith will sustain you through the difficult things that are inevitably going to come. When people sometimes ask me how I'm doing, I go, great, I'm between crises. Is your life that way too? Kind of calm right now. Had a crisis back here, not in it right now, but chances are there's another one coming. Whatever I can get into, God can get me out of. This morning, if there's something you need to get out of, there's an invitation offered so that you might receive support and help and guidance, or if need be, even forgiveness. If we can help you, come while Blake leads us.